Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to join me this evening in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Uh, this past Sunday, we were on our way to church. I pulled up uh, with the whole family in my truck, parked in our parking space. We're walking into church, and Bo, I hear Bo talking to Bell. He said, Bell, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you die and you don't know Jesus, you go to H-A-L-L. Hall. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, son, it's spelt different, but it feels the same. And so I'm afraid that some of you have uh, dealt with uh, that same uh, problem. Maybe it's a six year long, uh, long problem uh, for this church, but especially in the last few weeks, uh, I've really struggled with uh, this uh, new uh, study that we're doing and learning and trying to find a way to teach it to you that fits my personality. And so what we're going to do this week is we're taking a break from our study. We're going to return to it. We're taking a, a break this week. Uh, I don't want to put you through Hall, okay, through Josh Hall here. Uh, so I thought I might regret that joke a little bit later. <laughs> but uh, uh, what, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break this week. Next week we have uh, our Fall Fest, our Hallahan so we will not be meeting in here next week. We'll be uh, uh, helping out with the children, uh, and this place will be filled with games, and uh, we want to leverage that opportunity to share the gospel, perhaps with people who aren't even normally here. I don't know if you know, a lot of parents come and they drop off their kids at Awana, but for this next Wednesday night, there'll be a lot of folks staying here. What a great opportunity for us. Amen? To be able to share the gospel, to be able to get to know people and invest in them, so Make sure that you're here next week for that. That means we're going to have a two-week break, and by the time we return uh, to that study together, I hope to maybe, uh, we may condense it a little bit, and I want to really kind of get to the heart of the question, really what you're looking for when we go to study, what is the New Testament canon, and why is it reliable? And so uh, we're not going to do that tonight, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, this has become a very, uh, it's become a passage for me that's very near and dear to my heart. I want to share just a few devotional thoughts from this parable today, and then I want us to put it into practice in our prayer meeting. Luke chapter 18, beginning, begin reading in verse 1, and he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, if you are studying the New Testament, you'll find that it is a rarity, and perhaps this is the only occasion, where at the very beginning of the parable, Jesus tells what the intention of the parable is. Now, there are other times in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching parables, the disciples will come to him later and say, uh, what does that mean? 
We do not understand what does that mean. He tells it to them. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus spoke in parables so that those who are his would learn and would lean in and cast their eyes upon Jesus. And that those who were hard of heart, who were not going to accept him, would, would turn away and they would not receive it. But Jesus tells this parable, and when he teaches us this parable, at the very front end, he tells us, the scripture tells us the meaning of this parable. The reason Jesus is telling it. And he says this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. It began really at the beginning of this year. The Lord really began to impress upon my heart the lack of prayer in my life and in the life of the church. It seems like when I read the New Testament and when the church met, when the apostles met, there was a great priority placed upon prayer. Very, very, very important for the New Testament church. Every time a right decision is made in the New Testament by the church, it uh, it follows them all having gathered together and prayed. When apostles are thrown into prison, the church did not gather together a group of people to lobby the uh, to lobby the politicians to have them released. But the church gathered together and they prayed. Now. When I look at the New Testament and I see their devotion to prayer, the church's devotion to prayer, they would be praying as a church throughout the night, right? Uh, apostles are in prison. We're going to gather and we're, we're going to pray and it's going to be at the midnight hour. If I offered a midnight prayer service here, uh, there'd be very, very few people show up. Perhaps it would... It would be based upon what, what's happening in your life. I won't forget September 11th. I was in my geometry class when we were told that planes had hit the World Trade Center. I'd never even heard of the World Trade Center. I was not, I didn't understand geometry. <laughs> there was no way I was going to understand really what was going on. I remember everything shutting down at school and us just watching this take place. I remember talking to a friend and saying, is this, is this the end of time? We didn't understand. And I remember my dad at First Baptist and BB calling a prayer meeting that night. Now, how many folks you want to reckon showed up at that prayer meeting that night? Almost the whole town. I mean, it wasn't any place to sit. Very little talking went on. People didn't have anything to talk about. They didn't feel like talking about things that were going on in their life because we were all paralyzed by this fear and this, just this sorrow over what had occurred. And, you know, the next Sunday, plenty of people showed up to church. And the next Sunday, maybe a little bit less. And, you know, as the Sundays went along, those people who had made vows during that time to renew their relationship with Jesus and to be committed, they no longer showed up. We aren't committed to prayer. We are only committed to prayer so long as it, so long as it meets 
the needs that we feel that it ought to meet. Like, Lord, we only need you when we feel like we are uh, out of control, like when we feel that we don't have our hands on the wheel. But other than that, you stay back in the back seat and let me handle the driving. Let me handle it. It'd be, it'd be like me handing, it'd be like me getting my daughter in the front seat and telling her to take the wheel and drive. For some reason, we, we have a problem with prayer and being persistent in prayer. But for the New Testament church, prayer was a priority. Prayer was something that they could not do without. It wasn't just about the ailments of this world and the difficulties that we go through, which we ought to share together and carry one another's burdens and pray for one another. But it was, it was praying that the gospel would be made known and that those, that those Pharisees and Sadducees and all those people around who didn't know Jesus might come to know him. The, the prayer of the church was fervent. And what Jesus is saying, saying here is that, that I'm about to teach you this parable. I'm about to tell you this story. And the intention of this story is so that you would always pray, that you ought always to pray. Now, I think the question kind of pops into our mind, what does that mean? I mean, we can't close our eyes all day long and fold our hands and bow our knees. But prayer is more of a position of the heart than of your body. Now, there are appropriate times to be in your house and to be on your knees at your bed or in your closet to, be, to lay down before the Lord and just spend time in prayer to him. But when Jesus teaches us to always be in prayer, I got a feeling he means that we ought to always be in prayer. We, we don't do that because we think that we know better. We got it right now. We can handle it right now. Everything's going good, and it's going good because I've positioned myself right. But if you saw yourself for who you truly were, you would take advantage of this gift that has been given to the believer and to the church. A dear friend in this church, a dear brother, a godly man that I look up to has told me before that in his prayer life, he has asked, Lord, just show me who I am. Just show me who I, who I really am, the sin that is in my life. And the br brother told me after a week or after a period of time, he said, I, I began to realize really what I bring to the table, the sin that I have in, in my life, who I am, and how much I depend upon him. Jesus is saying, I'm about to tell you this story so that you would always pray. Not sometimes pray, not pray when the times are tough and they're rough, but that you would always pray. All day, even right now. Some of you need to be praying, Lord, help me to pay attention because I have attention issues. Lord, help me to pay attention. Lord, help me to put aside the, the things of today and to set my eyes upon you and your word. Lord, help me to have a better attitude. Help me to have an attitude uh, that Christ Jesus would want me to have. Jesus says, I'm teaching this to you. I'm telling you this story so that you would always pray. And then listen, so that you would not lose heart. Have you ever been discouraged? I don't know about you. I get discouraged pretty easily. It seems to, 
it seems to just grab a hold of me, and I'll get discouraged about one thing or another. But Jesus is teaching us this parable so that we would, number one, always pray, and number two, that we would not lose heart. Now, we're going to learn in a few moments, and as we unfold this passage together, we're going to learn that that this is, yes, that we would always pray, but that we wouldn't lose heart because Jesus knows that after he dies and is raised again and ascends to the Father, there's going to be this period of time where the whole world is going to say, he's never coming. He's, He's not coming back. He's not good for his word. Things have gone on just the way that they've always gone on from the beginning of time. You're wasting your time. And believers can get discouraged in waiting. But Jesus says, always pray. Don't lose heart. Now, let's look at the parable that he's going to say. There's two personalities in this parable. There's two characters. There is a widow woman. And as we'll learn about her, the widow is unable to take care of herself. All prospects of her taking care of herself, uh, there is no uh, welfare system, no retirement set aside for her. Her husband has died, uh, presumably, uh, I guess here there is uh, no one to take care of her. She is at the lowest of the low, unable to take care of herself, and she is in desperate need. The second character that we'll learn about, well, let's just look in verse 2. Okay? He said, Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, that's a, quite a statement to be made about a person's character, about a person's responsibility, about their reputation in town. And Jesus says, here is this judge. He is put in place, by the way, there's really not a system of checks and balances uh, to be made here. There's no appealing to a higher court. This judge has been put in his position, and here are the qualities of this judge. He doesn't meet any of the qualities that we would say should belong to a good judge. He doesn't fear God. Now, a judge who doesn't fear God cannot rightly judge, okay? It's the same way in this world, even dealing with quote-unquote secular matters. Uh, A judge who does not fear God cannot rightly do the job that he has been tasked to do. We should expect the same thing of our judges, and we should not be surprised when we when we have judges who do not fear God, and then we have uh, uh, judgments settled down uh, or, or set out the way that they are that totally defy God. This judge does not fear God. He doesn't think about God, doesn't care about God. In any of his dealings, uh, the eternal matter, to, eternal matters, the, the weight of the law, the weight of God's law, none of it matters. So if none of that matters, what does matter? Well, secondly, it says he doesn't fear man. So here's a recipe for disaster. You have a judge who is completely unqualified on every level to be a judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. Before him, there is no one that he must answer to. So he can do whatever it is he likes. If he doesn't fear God and he doesn't fear man, 
Who does he serve? Himself. He's a judge who's going to, through whatever case comes before him, he's going to get what he wants out of the deal. He's going to leverage every opportunity. He's going to leverage every case so that it lines his pockets and furthers his household. He doesn't care. He doesn't believe that there's any eternal uh, uh, he, he doesn't believe he's going to answer to anyone or that there will be any eternal consequence. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. He lives just for himself. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. We don't know what has happened, but we know that this widow woman has an adversary who has abused her, who has taken advantage of her. And in her society, there is no one to stand up for her. There's no one to plead her case. And there's not a judge who cares about her or anyone else, only for himself. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for a while he refused. He hears the case of this widow lady. He doesn't respect God. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. And so he hears her case, and he gives her no justice. Get out of here. She leaves that morning. He gets ready to go out for lunch, and there she is standing at his door. Give me justice against my adversary. He sends her away. He comes back for lunch to enter into his office. And there's that widow woman, give me justice against my adversary. He sends her away. But over time, the situation changes. Verse 5, or excuse me, let's go back to verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, what is said here is not a template for you uh, to be the squeaky wheel, right? Uh, I'll never forget, my, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad is uh, everything that I would wish to be as a pastor, and I'll never be able to attain to, uh, but I'll never forget him one time uh, a church member had been very persistent in a matter that was trivial and petty. Uh, even as a child, I could see it was trivial and, and petty. And, and the person said to him, Brother Bob, after he had listened multiple, multiple times, I'd assume from the conversation, Brother Bob, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And my dad said, well, at our house, we just replace the wheel. Okay. This is not a template for you to be antagonistic toward others. Remember, there's a purpose to this parable. It's between you and the Lord, and this is about prayer and not losing heart. So she's constantly coming to him, and this unrighteous judge, he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about people, but he says to himself, if, this, if I don't do something... This lady is going to pester me 
every day of my life, and it's going to wear me down. So I better give her justice. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? First question Jesus asks as the parable comes to a conclusion is, listen to what this unrighteous judge has done. Look what this unrighteous judge would do. And he asked this question, will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Now, in one respect, Jesus says God has some similarity here with this unrighteous judge. He's going he's gonna to give justice to the, those who come to him day and night and plead to him. But another way, he, when he answers this question, when he asks it, there is another answer. He is nothing like this judge. My friends, when we come before him day and night as his children, he's not holding out on us. He's not waiting for the hundredth time that we come to him. He's not leading us on. He's drawing our hearts to be more like him. He's, he's not holding out like a, someone who's just toying with us, playing with us. But he knows what you and I need. And what we need more than anything is to persistently pursue him to keep our eyes upon him, to say, Lord, if it's not you, it's not going to happen. Lord, if, you don't, if you're not working in my life, listen, one of the reasons I believe why revival tarries at First Baptist West Memphis, let me not speak for the United States of America, and let me not speak for Arkansas Baptist. One of the reasons why revival tarries here is because God's people don't cry out day and night. Lord, we need you. Lord, look at our city. Look at our country. It doesn't break our hearts. We've, we've grown callous to, to the evil of the world. We laugh at it when it's on television. We, we just seem to overlook it. But Jesus is saying we ought to be like this widow here. He says, won't God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Next question he asks, will he delay long over them? The implied answer is no. That our Father loves to give us good gifts. He knows what you need. And sometimes what you need is not what you think you need. Right? I know some of us would say, you know, if I just had good health. Right? Maybe health has waned a little bit. You had some difficulties, and you say, you know what I need? Lord, I could just serve you if I had good health. Well, friends, these bodies, these bodies don't last forever. They don't. I'm so, you know that. You know it more than I do, right? These bodies don't last forever. What you need and what I need more than just good health is to be walking close to Jesus to have our eyes set on, upon him, to be drawing ever closer and closer to him. You may say, what I just need is good relationships. 
You know, maybe a relationship's broken up in your family, and it pains you, and Lord, th- until this situation is fixed, I just can't, I, you know, I can't serve you the way that I ought to. You know what? God knows what you need. He knows that there's difficulties in this life and that there's trials, but he's the same God who uses all of these things for his glory and for your good. He loves you. I mean, when I look at the genealogy of Jesus, have you studied the genealogy of Jesus? I'm using all of the terrible things that happened in that line. I mean, all of the sin and the terrible, I mean, listen, you know that God's word is God's word because if Abraham had written uh, Genesis, he would have recorded probably just the highlights. There's some things I'm going to leave out if I'm Abraham, okay? There's some major, probably I'd leave out that uh, his wife, Sarah, was also his half-sister. I probably left that part out, okay? That seems a little awkward. Maybe that's just cultural today. But all of this Terrible things that happen. They're bad decisions. They're sinful decisions. And God worked through that to bring his only son, Jesus, into this world. Jesus asks, will he delay long over them? By the way, the scripture says, do not mistake God's patience for him being slow to act. He's being patient with you. And merciful, desiring that everyone would repent and turn to him. His next question is, will he delay long over them? Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, I... I wonder, I wonder, and I pray that at the return of Jesus, First Baptist West Memphis, and you and I, my brothers and sisters in this room, that the answer to that question upon his return in West Memphis, Arkansas, in this room, that the answer would be yes, yes, yes. Men and women, boys and girls who've not given up hope. Men and women, boys and girls who've not put their hope in politics and in the uh, social structure of today. Men and women who've not given up hope, though all seems to fail around them. Men and women who are looking to the skies for that answered promise and who would have their ears listening for that final trumpet call, who would have their knees bent to the ground, praying day and night, Lord, that you would give us what we need to get through these situations and that, Lord, you set our eyes upon you. My prayer is that for First Baptist West Memphis, we would be a church not defined by charismatic speakers. You're not going to have to worry about that. Not defined by eloquence from the pulpit or programs that function properly, but, but that we would be a church defined not by the community, but by God as a church who is persistent in prayer. A church who upon his return, the answer to this last question is, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he find this faith on earth? My prayer is yes. And tonight, 
if you were to evaluate your life and you were to say, you know, Josh, my prayer life doesn't reflect that. It's not persistent. It's inconsistent. Well, then you find yourself in the same boat that I'm in more frequently than I care to admit. Church, it's time we stop just talking about it. We start being people of prayer every day. Hey, you know what? When you think that you don't need it, that's when you ought to be praying more. Lord, forgive me. In these moments, I thought I could make these decisions without you. Forgive me in my pride. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we desperately need you. We do not seek to be a church that is received well, even in our own community or in our nation. We want to be a church that proclaims the gospel, but we want to be a church that longs for your affirmation and not the affirmation of this world. We don't want to be men pleasers. We don't want to be culture pleasers. We want to please you. And so, Lord, please, we know we can't fool you with our mouths and we can't fool you with what's on the outside because you look beyond the outside. You know what's on the inside. You know what's in our hearts. Lord, let us be men and women of prayer. And, Father, I beg that for our church. I beg that for my brothers and sisters here, for the young boys and girls learning the accounts of the Old Testament tonight in our Wednesday night program, for the youth that are just above us learning about prayer and learning about putting on the armor of God tonight. I pray that for everyone on this campus tonight and all those who couldn't even attend or perhaps are watching online, I pray that we would be a people defined by prayer. So, Lord, I pray with the apostles that you would increase our faith. I pray with them that, Lord, you would make us a church of prayer. And, Lord, in the end, we'll be very, very careful to give you and you alone all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.